Welcome to Cobden Centre Radio. I am your host, Patrick Crozier. It is Friday the 24th of August 2012. My guest today is Brian Micklethwaite, libertarian, blogger and pamphleteer extraordinaire. Right, I mean, uh, to start off with, um, perhaps we should explain what we mean by propaganda. I mean, we don't mean brown shirts and torchlit parades and people ranting, do we? No, I mean it's in the value-free sense, or, or actually... No, not the value-free sense, the, the sense of that which should be propagated, the original Latin word. Um, it suggests a degree of organization and a degree of thoughtfulness and coherence about it, which I think is right. I think it's a good idea for people to think about these sorts of questions and uh, fit what they do in with what each of the others is doing um, and to do it in an organized sort of way. Uh, but it certainly doesn't mean what Many mean, I certainly don't use the word to mean what many mean by propaganda, which is lies and shouting. But that's not what I mean. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you feel we're doing at the moment? Um, I think the short answer is it's very hard to say because um, the, the, the proof will be how well these ideas do in the event of um, serious economic meltdown, don't you think? Um, and I think in the meantime, one is spreading these ideas. I mean, the Prime Minister seems to pay no attention to them at all in Britain. No. Uh, and, and the rest of the government and the official classes take their, their lead from him. Um, and that means that any, any spreading of these ideas takes place outside of any kind of official response. So it's not like privatization in the 1980s when there was a government constantly supplying moral uh, encouragement by at least responding to some of the notions that were being put around. And there was a constant flow of news stories associated with the fact that this or that government department was looking into whether it could privatise this or deregulate that. Well, there's nothing like that going on now, is there? But that's the 80s. I mean, presumably, I mean, 20 years before, or even 10 years before, um, I mean, the government was ignoring it then. There were no privatisations, to my knowledge, in the 1970s, for mm. instance. Mm. It was um, it was a case of people like the IEA and the, mm. latterly the CPS sort of getting their act together and just making the case and banging on again and again, I guess. I mean, I wasn't... Um, you, know, you, you would have been in a better position to, to have noticed that at the time. But, I, mean, I think presumably... there's been quite a bit of success in broadcasting, ironically, with the BBC, which is often denounced by free marketeers as hopelessly biased. But I think the BBC is actually quite open to um, debate. It, it almost is unable to have a certain sort of program unless it can find people to quarrel about whatever it is they're talking about. Um, you, you, we've all of us been rung up by BBC researchers saying, we want you to say so-and-so. Or we're looking for somebody to say the opposite of something else, you know, so that they can have a discussion. And in that respect, I think the Cobden Centre has been pretty successful insofar as I've paid any attention. I've, I've attended, for example, there was a, there was a Radio 4 uh, debate, which was very encouraging. And I think the upshot of all this, I summarized it in a, in a Samistad posting I did some months ago, which was entitled something like, Austrianism as number two, 
The trick with the BBC is to get your point of view above the pack of, of dissent and up to the top of the opposition column, so to speak. And I think there's been quite a bit of success in that respect. And, and I think it's directly to do with the Cobden Centre and the people I associate with the Cobden Centre. Um, people like Tim Evans and Toby Baxendale um, talking mm. very politely to BBC people, which I think works very well. Mm. I, I think there's a tendency among free marketeers to just go mad and say, oh, they're all Marxists and not make any attempt to influence what they say. And I think that's probably a mistake. Um, it certainly shouldn't be the only thing that people say about the BBC. Hmm. I mean, I, I hadn't I hadn't thought of it like that. I mean, it, you know, I frankly don't tend to pay much attention to the BBC because it says things I don't agree with. So, well, that's right. I don't I don't pay much attention to it either. But on those occasions when I have, I can remember a few. It was about a year ago now, I think, uh, going to an, a BBC Radio Four event, and was greatly impressed by the um, willingness of this particular BBC operation to uh, pay attention to the ideas of Austrian economics. I don't think that's true of everybody in the BBC, but, it, you know, there are opportunities along those lines. And I think there have been plenty of other successes in the media as well. And by the way, um, if I can sort of digress a bit, the, the, I was rather pleased with the use of the phrase Austrianism, which I think is quite a good phrase. Mm -hmm. um, People often wonder, how do you, how do you publicize Austrian economics? And my answer would be, well, Austrian economics is not a very satisfactory phrase. It implies two things, neither of which it is. One is the, the economics of the country, Austria, which it isn't. And the other is economics done by a bunch of people in Austria, which many decades ago it may have been, but it certainly isn't that now. What I like about the phrase Austrianism, which is, as I say, I used it in that... Um, uh, blog posting title, is that it implies an ism. In fact, it says it's an ism, which suggests a doctrine with universal application. But at the same time, uh, those who already know what Austrian economics is will recognize it. Oh, yes, that's that's Austrian economics slight, said slightly differently, but it's obviously the same thing. Um, I mean, so it, it, I, mean which, I, 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 see, I see the point you're making, but isn't it also, isn't a slight disadvantage to it? Um, in that, I mean, it, it isn't immediately obvious what it means. Well, I know, but I don't think Austrian economics is either. I think it's, I think it's a slight improvement over the phrase Austrian economics or Austrian school. Yes, yes, no. I don't think it's, it, it's part of an attempt to draw these ideas into the mainstream in a, in a form where they will be widely understood. I think it contributes to that process. Let me put it that way. Hmm. That, that, that sort of... Uh, so it immediately sort of slightly worries me because isn't one of the problems that we have with Austrianism is that it's, it's never going to be widely understood. I mean, it is so... I mean, let, let's put it like this. I mean, both you and I have difficulty in reading fa fairly accessible dumbed books. Or, down yeah, dumbed down versions yes. of it. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I, I want to say that that's because I'm rather stupid. I mean, people, people listening to me talking often quite fluently and things like this may think that my IQ is a lot higher than it really is. The fact is, I'm not good at following complicated arguments, and I never have been. One of the reasons I'm a libertarian is that it is so brutally reductionist. It just says, allow things that are consented to, don't, don't allow things that are not consented to. It's so simple. 
even I can get my brain I, around it. Um, it. It sounds as if we're rather similar in that respect. I mean, my, my problem is, is if I don't sort of understand things from A to B to C and mm. can put it in my own terms, I sort of almost reject it. I yeah. have to sort of take it on board and sort of, you know, come and take an idea and have to sort of mess, mess about with it to mm. see, see if it makes any sense. I'm not happy just being sort of well, I'm quite good at dealing with lots and lots of different little ideas, lots of little little mm. chains of, of argument. But when you sit down and try to get your head around Austrian economics, you, you've got to follow sort of 15 stages, haven't you? And it gets, I find it very difficult, I must, must confess. In this connection, um, may I say that one of, potentially, one of the most important things to have happened to the case for Austrian economics in Britain is that a certain James Dellingpole has got interested in it. Mm. Now, this man's a genius at, <laughs> at putting stuff across to people like us who can't go through complicated technicalities. I mean, his watermelons is a brilliant piece of, of uh, uh, popularising of a, of a really quite complicated case. And, and this is a book he has, has recently published. Yes, he wrote a book. That was a book about the Green Movement. Um, I remember, again, it was, must have been about two years ago when I was first getting really interested in the activities of the Cobden Centre. There was a meeting at the House of Commons, and again, I think I blogged about this on Samish Data, where Detlef Schlichter, the author of Paper Money Collapse, I was, there. was basically the main speaker. And lo and behold, in among a scattering of, a smattering of MPs and a, and a, a sort of three or four times as many members of the general public, including me, was James Dellingpole. And afterwards, I asked him, what do you make of all this? And he said, this is one of the most important... In fact, I think he said it's the most important story of our time. Well, we can't disagree with that. And um, if I, 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 I'm finding it hard to sort of restrain my anticipation. I, I hear no, no news whatsoever. No reason to think he's writing a book on all this, but... It would fit. It would make sense. And I do hope he is. Let he has written some blog postings on it in yes. the Telegraph blog. Yes. So, um, yes. Yeah. And if, if his previous form is anything to go by, he won't, he won't be satisfied with leaving this subject until he's written a great big tome on the subject, full of funny stories and abuse and, and lots of good stories about, um, you know, currency being taken to the supermarket in wheelbarrows and all that sort of all the stuff that that wasn't in Detlef Schlichter's book um I mean you've got no you've got no um amusing anecdotes in that book by and large you no. just got you just got the, the guts of what was going on it, it, it's very Austrian it, it's 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 very you know similar to, well I'm, I'm kind of struggling through one of my, my von Mises's book uh books socialism and it's a struggle I mean every 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 paragraph is sort of rich with detail and um, careful argument, and that's what Detlef's books is a bit like, I think. That's how I found it. And I'm not blaming him. He, he, I mean, no, I no, 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 met, no, no. I've met many, many people who say that his is a brilliant um, summary of, of the Austrian case, and you've got, to, you've got to try to read that book. And if you do, you may very well make much more sense of it much more quickly than either you or I did. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I did find it a struggle. Yeah, no, well, me, me too, me too. It's, and uh, one of the reasons was that there was no light relief. There were no sort of things, oh, I can just switch off and read about, uh, you know, somebody's wife having a party and 
there was a conversation no, with no, somebody it, it, it's all about, all about faces, I mean, none it? of that at no, all. It, it, it's about time preferences and yes. uh, structure of production and yes. uh, mm. oh, there are a few other things and, you know, a lengthy discussion uh, oh, goodness, I, I, about the nature of money and, and what it really mm. represents and that sort of thing. Yes, well... But, I mean, if, you, if you've got to call yourself an Austrian, you've got to acquaint yourself with this stuff, yes. haven't you? You can't, you can't mm. just say, oh, it's too difficult. Uh, if, if you think it's true, then you have to at least... Um, you know, you have to go at least go through the motions of finding out what it is you think is true. <laughs> no, I mean, perhaps what it needs a needs a, is a simplified version. I mean, in, in my um, in my tiny little little brain, I, uh, my version of Austrian economics is that when when the government starts to um, you know, print money, odd things happen, and then people start making and doing the wrong things, and yes. at some point they realise they're making and doing the wrong things, and there's a crash. Um, and then, t- then two things can happen: either um, they they can work out what the right things to do are, or the state intervenes to keep, try to keep them doing the wrong things. Um, but it, it it all leads to the same thing eventually. Eventually, the, when the state, you know, eventually you have to correct, and eventually you have to work out what the right things are. Um, but that can be a very painful process. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you think that that part of part of the problem with um, Austrianism is it doesn't doesn't offer an instant solution. Yes, it's much better at telling you what what went wrong than it is at, at, at telling you there's good news about how it's all going to go right from now on, if only we can do this or that. I mean, the central claim of Austrianism is that there are no easy solutions to the mess that, that, you, that that's been created. Um, I, mean, you know, I mean, about the best... There's no nice way to liquidate an unwise... Um, investment and when that's taking place on a gigantic scale it's going to be bad news and I think that's the political problem with Austrianism mm. people don't like this sort of bold statement of the grim truth well ha- I mean having said that I mean one of the most effective um, pieces of Austrian propaganda ever was an interview with Ron Paul once I think it may have been on CNBC or something like that anyway what he said was you know, asked about what would happen if, if you know Ron Paulism was in charge. He said, "Well, uh, you know, it would be terrible. You know, the f- mm. the first year would be terrible, but then yeah. things would start to get better." Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought that was actually very effective in, in in the fact that he just just said, you know, he accepted the fact. He didn't try to dress it up in any way. Maybe that's a better approach. Well, it's got to be something like that, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the only the only argument you can make for it is that whatever happens is going to be terrible in the short run. If our opponents carry on doing what they're doing, it's just going to go on getting worse. If if we do what I'm saying, then it's going to get worse. And then, but the difference is that in the longer run, things are going to get better if you do what I say. Whereas they're just going to go on getting worse if you do what the other fellows say. I think mentioning Ron Paul, uh, Ron Paul, um, reminds us both that politically, the circumstances are very different in the United States. I think. I mean, they, think? they have a, a functioning political tendency over there, which is extremely ready to be told about Austrian economics. Um, but, but, in but, the form but, of the Tea Party. Uh, I mean, in the 70s, uh, Thatcher came before Reagan. Um, you know, Britain did manage to have that sort of intellectual, I wouldn't say revolution, but certainly resurgence of um, free market economics. Um, 
I mean, is Britain, has Britain changed in some way? Do you think? I mean, I'm I'm not so convinced I, that we we're not capable of making those sorts of changes. I just don't know. I think one of the consequences of getting old is that you lose touch with these, you, you, or you become much less confident in answering questions like this. Um, and I'm now 65, nearly, so I, I can feel myself wondering if um, my country has undergone a fundamental change, which has turned it into Greece, <laughs> you know, eventually. But, you know, we had one huge effort not to be Greece, and now we're just exhausted. We shall see. Yes. Well, the thing is, I may not see, because it may take that long. Oh, but, yeah. but at least in the world as a whole, there is the Tea Party. I mean, I did a posting this time a few, only a few days ago. I think it was about last, last week or something. Again, on Samus Data, where I said, is the Tea Party libertarian? Now, by that I meant not is it, is it um, you know, going, trying to decriminalize drugs and, and have gay sex and all that. Uh, all I meant was that is the agenda of the Tea Party part of the, the libertarian agenda as a whole? And is any of it anti-libertarian? I hope not. And the, the basic answer was, it's what I wanted to be. It's, it's very narrowly focused on um, uh, fiscal intelligence and responsibility and cutting back government spending. Um, they're avoiding social issues. Libertarians have to button up on lots of subjects, and so too do quite a lot of the social conservatives. They have to confine themselves to the question of cutting government spending, um, looking at these entitlement programs and so on, uh, and trying to cut down on government debt. So the broad answer was, yes, it is libertarian. Um, that's the, that's the, that seems to me yeah. the biggest source of optimism in the world in the short run for people like us. And there's no but, equivalent in this country at all, is there? Doesn't I mean, appear to be. Yeah. Um, about as far as you get. The UKIP, but the trouble is, UKIP is just as much about keeping Eastern Europeans out yeah. of Britain, and and you just don't know what exactly. I mean, the fact is that that leaving the European Union is not the same as solving the problems of government debt. It's no, I mean, I mean, one of the one of the old things about this actually is that um, I think a lot of the Eurosceptics have been caught out by this because their assumption has been that the euro is a disaster and. Uh, it's not the euro that's the disaster. It's no, the euro is no better or worse than any other currency, from what I can work out. The, the, the problem is trying to, is not accepting Greece, Greece and other countries defaulting. That seems to be the problem with 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 the euro. But it's not the euro as such. Yes, Schichter's very interesting on this. Yeah, he he's very sort of sceptical about euro scepticism. Put it that way. Mm -hmm. He's he's very very clear that. Um, that, for example, the dollar and the pound are in just as much trouble as the euro. They've got just the same problems. Yeah. And also, that Greece um, leaving the euro is not going to end its problems, to put it mildly. Um, and he's also yeah. very sceptical about the idea of competing currencies in the short run, because as far well, as he's concerned, that fiat currencies racing to the bottom against each other. Rather than uh, any sort of well, I think most of I mean, in his book, he sort of makes the point that, that money should be a monopoly because you want money that's universal if you if you can get it. Um, yes, um, that's true. That's true. A monopoly, but not not of the kind many people would assume when they hear that word. It, it, 
I, I don't think he uses yeah. the word monopoly to describe it. What, what he says is money needs to be very widely um, accepted. Yeah. Um, yeah. But not absolutely universal. It doesn't have to be enforced on everybody at the point of a gun. It just has to be very... Much like I would say that a good comparison would be with something like IBM compatibility. Yes, yes. Um, Although the, 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 the electrical Windows standards Apple, where, um, you know, certain kinds of plugs just sweep the world and, uh, and USB. Uh, everybody uses them. Why? Because everybody else uses them. Yeah. And it's yeah, convenient. Exactly. And, and there's a very strong argument in favor of a currency that everybody else is using. Whatever else is wrong with it. Um... We, we were talking a bit, bit earlier about um, the 70s and the, the, the superhuman efforts that was made in this country to sort of put us on a slightly more free market um, track. I mean, I can remember in, in the 1970s, Keynesism was, was dying. And, and in, 80s, in the 80s, it, it seemed to be dead. I mean, have you any ideas on how Keynesianism has been able to resurrect itself over the last sort of 20 years? I find that extraordinary. Yes, I remember you, you reminded me that we had a previous conversation over the phone, which you recorded, and I listened to it the other day because I'd forgotten about it completely. And you made this point: how how the hell did Keynesianism come up out of the swamp again from nowhere? You know, it's like the end of a horror film, isn't it? You know, when <laughs> you think everything has <laughs> yes. been sorted, and then suddenly, bang, it's back. You know, and then the credits roll, and you can go out of the cinema in a state of uh, enjoyable terror. You know. Yes. Uh, it is like that. Like, here's a possible thought uh, by way of an answer, which is that ideas, the, the usual pro, uh, assumption that people like you and I like to make is that you and I have our thoughts, we discuss them amongst ourselves, we write them down, or friends of ours write them down brilliantly, convince the world, and then they go crashing into policy discussions and sort everything out. That's one way of understanding the role of ideas, and there is some truth in that. But here's another. The politicians do what the politicians do for their own reasons. But depending on what they're doing, they need certain sorts of ideas to excuse their behavior. Put like that, I think the recent resurgence of Keynesianism makes sense. They want does it, it, does it? I mean, the, I, I mean the, th the, the thing is... There's a, de there's a political demand for ideas, in other words. But the, the demand in 1997, I mean, that was when Gordon Brown um, made the Bank of England independent. He gave it a, an inflation target. Now, that is monetarism. It's not Keynesianism. It's monetarism. So, no, I'm talking about the period, since, the period between about 2007 when uh -huh. suddenly there was a feeling of actual crisis in the air. Yes. Now, the, the gist of the problem, as perceived by the politicians, was that come Monday morning, the bank... Uh, you know, the, the um, cash machines were going to stop working and the whole country would seize up. That was their nightmare. To prevent that, they had to just get an enormous trainload of banknotes and hurl them in all directions, and in particular at the banks. That's what they believed they had to do in order to stop the banking system literally uh, actually, actually, in front of their eyes. Now, in order to excuse that behavior, it was awfully helpful to have Keynesian professors dragged out of retirement writing um, explanations that this was actually a rather wise thing to do. It wasn't just a panic measure. It was a, a very judicious policy. That, that, I think, goes some way to explain the revival of Keynesianism. Does that mm, make sense? Well, um, 
I think that's more like monetarism, isn't it? I mean, no, I mean, Keynesianism the... in particular, which is chucking money around like there's no tomorrow. Uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, the, the way I sort of tend to sort of look at Keynesianism, the way I differentiate Keynesianism from monetarism is that the Keynesians, this is embarrassing actually because I mean, people on the forum will be able to tell us what the difference is, but my, my understanding of Keynesianism, the Keynesians are, want to steal real money. They're not particularly inflationists hmm. uh, as such. They just want to take people's money and then spend it. And that's the whole idea behind the stimulus hmm. in Obama's stimulus, whereas the monetarists are... are much more concerned about keeping the money supply constant with us a little bit of growth. Uh, that's what they're so in in inflationary times. Yeah, they want but higher you couldn't interest get rates. a monetarist excuse for TARP, could you? For the stimulus. Well, there are two things. TARP is not the stimulus. You Sorry. could not get. You, you, I think you're right. You couldn't get a monetarist excuse for TARP. Well, could you? Well, what I'm saying is there was a change of public decision making. In, in the in sort of mid to late last decade, um, which could only be ex- the only professors willing to come out of their um, hidey holes and say this is an active actively good thing, as opposed to what we have to do, given that the wolf is at the door. Uh, the only people arguing that this was a positively good thing were Keynesians. Therefore, Keynesianism uh, had a had a moment in the sun. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's more like the, the, the... In other words, I don't think you're wrong to say that Keynes, Keynesianism um, did go into decline in the late 20th century. Um, I don't think its recent prominence reflects a, a widespread gut belief that, that these sorts of policies are going to be the saving of the Western world. I don't think that's really a very widespread idea. No. No, I don't think. I mean, it. if they don't, well, if they don't believe that, what do they think? I mean, what do people like? Well, I, there may be a, there may be a few Keynesians who believe this, but I do not think that's a very widespread idea. Maybe I'm maybe that's wishful thinking on my part, but I I don't think there's. I think that the the only people who have any absolutely starry-eyed optimism about the future are the Austrians. They believe that. <laughs> That in the longer run, if all the right things are done in the meantime, the uh, world economy could take off like a rocket. And I don't think anybody else believes that. Hmm. Well, um, wow. I must have been one of those With a big sign on it saying, I hope I'm right, maybe that's, maybe I'm just talking nonsense and that, that I'm just hoping that. Well, I was um, I was listening to a, an interview with an Austrian on um, Max Kaiser the other night, and he, the, the phrase Second Dark Ages" did come up. Oh yes, <laughs> so the, the Austrianism is political. It, it's it's the, the Austrian optimism is if we did all the right things, then the right things would have wonderful consequences. The pessimism is: will we get the chance to do those right things? Will will, it ever, will those right things ever be done? That's where the pessimism is. Yeah. That's where the New Dark Ages talk comes from. Hmm. So one or the other. Um, Brian, I was going, I was going to ask, um, getting back onto, onto propaganda, is, is what influences you? What's convinced um, you to be a good Austrian? Well, I'll tell you how I arrived at this opinion. It, I became convinced in, in my 
in, as part of the process of becoming a libertarian, which happened a long time ago, that by and large free markets and consent works better than nationalized industries. And so all you have to do to tell me that there's something profoundly wrong with the banking system is explain to me that it's a nationalized industry. Mm. I, I remember at a, at a Cobden Center dinner party I attended very early on, um, there was a discussion about um, the, the simple fact that the nationalized nature of money is not widely understood. People see those big Bank of England, you know, the columns outside the, the, the main building in the middle of the square, and they think, well, that's got to be capitalism, hasn't it? Um, as in free markets. But yeah. whatever, whatever argue, other arguments that the likes of you and me and all of the other people at the Common Center get involved in, the one we, we must win, just to start with, is to point out that this is a nationalized industry. Um, now, that's quite distinct from the question of whether that's a good thing. One, one ought to separate those two propositions from each other. I personally think nationalized industries are always a bad thing. Um, they always introduce distortions. They always Sovietize the economy. Um, but that's a distinct argument from the, the simple, even dumb proposition that the pound is not a free market product. It is the government. Now, a lot of people say, yes, and so it should be. Money by its nature must be backed by governments. Well, okay, that's a separate argument, but the point that we must carry is that this is indeed government money we're talking about, fiat money. Uh, the paper currency, the currencies that Schlichter says are collapsing, and that indeed all the Austrians say are collapsing, um, is government money. That, that, that really That's a quite distinct question from whether it ought to be government money. Hmm. I mean, I think it's, it's a sort of harder sell to explain to people that it is the money that's caused this. I mean, at the moment, most people seem to believe it's the bankers. And they're, they're well, they're greed. not completely wrong, are they? I mean, it, it's... One of the things I like about the Cobden Centre, and, and in particular Steve Baker, MP, who is one of the founding... Uh, I think he's one of the key founders of the Cobden Centre, yeah. is that his attitude to the left is very interesting in the way he conducts himself in arguments. The usual free marketeer attitude to the left is, oh, the left are in favor of nationalized industries, even when they say they aren't, and um, a pox on them, you know. Uh, and Occupy can take a high it's full of nonsense. That's the usual attitude, and I've written a few things along those lines myself over the years. Steve Baker's attitude is very different. He says, whatever answers people like the Occupy movement and left-wing MPs, whom he has very cordial personal relationships with in the House of Commons, um, whatever, whatever they may offer in the way of an answer, they are at least right about one thing, which is that there damn well is a problem. When they say there's something wrong with the financial system, they are entirely correct when they say that. And he is much more interested in associating himself with that starting proposition. There's a problem. What are we going to do about it? than he is on having big fights about what should be done about it. Do you see what I mean? Um, well, not really, because what good does it do? Um, I think, yes, I, I've been worrying about this, whether it accomplishes anything. 
Um, I think what it does is it greatly multiplies the number of people who are prepared to listen to him in the House of Commons. He's, he's no longer a right-wing nutter. He's, uh, he's a sincerely concerned citizen. Um, and, the, and the hope is that this will make Austrian ideas spread around a bit more. I, like you, I'm a bit... I've, I, a year ago, I was probably more impressed by this strategy than I am now. Now I begin to think to myself, exactly as you've said, what, where is this going? And, and the terrible fear is not very far at all. Um, but it is interesting uh, that that's what he's doing. Mm, well, I mean, I mean, if it, if it, if it works, you know, all the best. I mean, but I think a lot depends on where the big breakthroughs are likely to be made um, in in these sorts of policies. I mean, what Schlichter says is, forget about politicians; they're not going to be able to do anything about this. Um, the idea that you you can convert the political class and then they can start doing intelligent things, he thinks is. Moonshine. Well, well, it's also much to make them do intelligence things. It's, it's to stop them doing stupid things. Yeah. Um, all right. And what is going to, and and as long as they're doing the stupid things, we're we're buggered. Mm. Um, because mm. they will keep on. Well, I assume they will keep on printing the money. Actually, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But I assume they're going to keep on printing the money, and things will get worse. And they'll stimulate and print and stimulate and print. It'll be you know, this could go on for twenty years. It seems. I mean, Japan's been going on like this for twenty years. Why why not why not our crisis? Mm. Um, and I mean, in 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 Germany, I read that um, that book called uh, "When Money Dies" by Adam Ferguson, which was published thirty uh, odd years ago. Um, and in Germany, in the Weimar inflation, they didn't it didn't stop. Sanity did not return until essentially Germany was about to fall apart. I mean, there were, there were um, independence movements in places like the Ruhr and Bavaria and Saxony and places like that. Um, so I'm, uh, you hope it doesn't have to get that bad. I suppose that's one point. And the other point I, I was sort of going to make, which is an entirely different one, is, uh, is the, the, the sort of opposite of it, is, is that it seems to me that the, certainly in America and to a lesser extent in Europe, the bankers are very nervous about admitting they're doing quantitative easing. They don't like using that phrase anymore. They think they're getting into trouble for it. And for instance, last year, we all thought that there was going to be a QE3 in America, and it didn't happen. They, they introduced something called Operation Twist, which I don't know if that's QE or not. But they seem very reluctant. Operation to... Twist, that sounds almost parodic, doesn't it? Like they're almost reveling in being Las Vegas betting lunatics, you know. You can almost see them wearing loud suits and getting drunk and... Well, the, I, I think the idea was to um, sell long-dated secure, uh, treasuries and buy short-dated ones, therefore raising the price of the short-dated ones and reducing the price of the long-dated ones so the interest rates were more even across that, uh, across the curve. I think that was the idea behind it. And therefore that people could, could borrow long-term. Um, I'm not going to go any further. I think that was what the idea was. But the point was that they were uh, they were reluctant to, to just do more QE because things were tough. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe some pennies are dropping and they're they, they're feeling the heat. 
Um, I'd like to think so. Well, politically, you do get the feeling in America that the Tea Party is ready to take a lot of short-term grief for the sake of longer-term things being done well. And they are at least wanting to prove Schlichter wrong. They, they will be wanting to show that there is politically something that can be done about all this. But as, you, as we said, there's, there's nothing like that in Britain at the moment. I mean, I attended a, what was it, a rally against debt or something, and I took a lot of photographs of signs that people had, were waving about, and Guido linked to it, and that's as far as I got with it. I mean, I'd never heard anything since then um, about, about the rally against debt. I don't, I don't think anything much has been done along those lines in Britain. Maybe the problem is, is we're, we're in about 1972 at the moment. Um, yeah, I was thinking possibly that um, Cameron equals Heath and yes. then he's patient. Um, the danger of, of old men is that they will always reinterpret current events in terms of their own experiences and get things a bit wrong as a result, because things are never quite the same every time. You no, know, they never no, quite repeat no, themselves, absolutely, do they? Absolutely. Um, I mean, for me, if there is a Margaret Thatcher in all this, I keep coming back to it, it's the Tea Party. They seem to me to be the most intelligent people on this planet on the subject of the financial situation. I mean, they're not very intelligent. They don't. They don't. They don't seem to grasp the, the enormity of the problem. Even those people. It's just too ghastly to look at. But they're, they're the nearest thing to, to intelligent people on this subject. And how things might improve, I, I can imagine a possible scenario. Supposing the Tea Party wins the next presidential election by a mile and then says, right, now let's really get to work and make damn sure that this new president of ours does what, what we want him to do. And they make him do the right things. Uh, let's, let's just uh, hope for all that. And then the rest of the world, all these twats in Europe, will say, oh, this is going to be catastrophic. To which the Tea Party will reply, yes, it's going to be catastrophic for a year, like Ron Paul said, as you mentioned. And then a year later, mysteriously, for no reason that anybody in Europe can begin to understand, the U.S. economy starts to improve. And at that point, you might see Britain uh, seeing sense more than it does now official Britain. Meanwhile, the European economy continues to plummet. Under those circumstances, I think there might be a change of, of mood in, in Britain. And whereas in the 1980s, Britain felt like, in a sense, politically, almost the centre of the world in terms of unscrambling the mess of the 70s. Um, I suppose we had the advantages that we, would, we were in just such be, a much bigger mess than anyone else is the decline had been going on for 20 years by that stage, 20, 30 years. Whereas even in America, it wasn't anything like as bad. Maybe that's the, that was the key difference. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're now facing their Thatcher moment, I think. They're facing their sort of late 70s mm -hmm. for the first time. And they'll, whereas now our extreme left has had all the stuffing knocked out of it and is all dressed up in very smart suits and pretending to be centrist and, and not frightening the horses. Uh, over in America, the extreme left had a moment when they thought they were going to inherit the farm, you know, get everything. This and, moment uh, being what about and, and they are going to get their Michael foot inserted into their asses um, 
in the next presidential election. Again, I hope I could just be stating wishful thinking. Because if you're parried to Haviland, you want to you want things to get far worse before they get better, and you don't care who wins the next. Yeah, I I, I always wonder if if you if it's best to hope for the as you said that you say the least worst lizard. Um, but I, you know, if I were American, I, I would have great difficulty in voting for for Romney. Because you 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 think to yourself, well, he's he's almost certainly not going to be any good, and he may just poison the brand. Is it better well, just to lose? It certainly isn't sufficient to vote for Romney. It, it's what happens after he's installed that matters. Uh, um, the, if the Tea Party thinks they can, if they let out a great big sigh of relief and have a great big party after the presidential election, um, then we can kiss the Western world goodbye, as far as I can see. But if the Tea Party say, right, now we really get stuck in, um, we hold the man to all the grandiose things he said he's going to do to encourage free enterprise and cut government spending and so on, uh, and they're prepared to get into very serious fights in order to carry their point, um, then there's a chance. But, but the idea that just voting Obama out of office will do the trick is ludicrous. I quite agree with, um, with the people who say that. That is, that is, I just think it's necessary but insufficient, and you put it that way. That's the mm. short-run improvement to, to avoid the debt left schlichter scenario, which is everything goes completely tits up, and, and um, then what? But uh, by the way, I hope you can do an interview with Schlichter sometime where I, and if, if he's not prepared to answer this question maybe there are other Austrianists who are which is okay if you think the politics of all this is just going to be wall-to-wall -wall Armageddon catastrophe um, there, there will still be a world in 20 years time you know the human race is not going to be wiped out there are going to be economic decisions made well, what will those decisions be and what ought they to be? What it, what What's the smart money going to do? What do you think we as individuals should do if our politicians are completely hopeless? That's a question. Yeah, well, what, what do you do when the politicians start coming to you and say, we desperate, we obviously don't know what we're doing, what do we do now? That's well, the fear is that the politicians will come and say, we know exactly what we're doing, we've come here to take all your gold, hand it over. That's the, that's the nightmare scenario, um, where the politicians remain full of passionate intensity, despite having no idea um, what the long-run answer is. You know, they, they will steal our gold with the same well, It's that funny you say that. Don't, and... don't you get the feeling, I mean, David Cameron is someone who is not full of passionate intensity. Yeah, I mean, that, isn't that, that one of the good be... things that we've got is that actually these politicians yeah. don't really believe in it that yes, much. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, they're they're not you know, they're not really prepared to machine gun crowds of, of protesters. Let's put it like that. They're not they're not actually prepared to. Mm. Well, that's people. what I meant when I said that I don't think Keynesianism is a passionate belief now. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's the politicians who've sucked it into the opinion pages of the newspapers rather than had it forced on them, so to speak. That's what mm. I meant, and that's what I hope is true. It's sort of um, convenient. Yeah, it's kind of... A, they don't believe it either, but it's a nice... It's rather like the way that um, 
during the Second World War, conservatives were prepared to tolerate lefties writing pro-Stalin articles in the newspapers, even though they didn't believe a bloody word of it, um, because Stalin was the ally and he had to be sucked up to. Yeah. You know, it had to be done. Yeah, cool. all part of, these are all part of the sacrifices you have to make during wars, dear boy. Uh, Brian, we're almost out of time now. Um, was there any other point you wanted to make? Well, I'm sure there are lots of other brilliant things we might have said, but as you say, we've said quite enough, so why don't we just leave quite it Quite enough there? brilliant things, yes, I think we will. Well, um, I hope so, anyway. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that, um, that I know what I'm talking about. I hope I've made that clear. But um, you can, you <laughs> I'm can sure say, both of us have made that perfectly clear, actually. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but, but at least if it gets a few, you know, people thinking and getting a few ideas and hearing a few names of writers and gets them uh, joining in this conversation. That'll, that'll be mission accomplished as far as I'm concerned. I hope so. Brian McAthwaite, thank you very much. This podcast was brought to you by the Cobden Centre. For honest money and social progress. To listen to future editions, please check out the website or subscribe to the feed. The music featured in this podcast is from Kapeka by Et. Music